listening to Shift Happens on Kootenai Co-op Radio, 93.5 FM. My name is Jeff. And I'm Anna. And in today's show, we're going to be interviewing a loving skeptic, someone I've known for quite a while. His name is Jay Frazier. He is also the husband of the woman we interviewed last week. My name is Jeff. And I'm Anna. And we are interviewing today the much worse half of the person that we interviewed last week. And I'm being kind of funny here, or at least attempting to be. We're actually interviewing my ex-best buddy from college, my best friend, Jay Fraser. And he lives in Eugene, Oregon, or somewhere close to there. Is that true? That's true. All right. So I haven't seen you in a gazillion years, man. Here I am, 29 years old, and I haven't seen you for, well, we won't go there. For 30 years? Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much correct, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. So anyway, I just thought it would be great to get caught up. And I know there are some things that we definitely share in terms of our past. And I think it would be appropriate at this time to remind our listeners about my background. I grew up in a fundamentalist Christian cult. And I met Jay at Bible college. And you originally hailed from where, Jay? Uh, Louisiana. Okay. So you come by it honestly. Yes, yes, exactly right. My my parents were members of the Christian cult, and I grew up in it, so went to the Bible college there. Mm-hmm. And you ended up getting the full uh, the full bachelor degree too, did you not? I, I did. I, I did. Uh, we did the associate's degree at a campus there in Texas, and then I went out to campus in, in Pasadena, California, and got the bachelor's degree. Right. And what a waste of money, hey? Yeah. I've thought about that a lot <laughs> over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've also thought about all the, the money that my parents and my extended family and I sent to that cult. Because, you know, we, we, we were in the tithing. And we tithe not on the gross, or not on the net, but on the gross income. and Which is really gross. Which is really gross. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah, so the way it worked was 10% would go to the first tithe. So if you make 100 grand a year, you actually are required to pay 10% on the 100 grand. And that's before the taxes. And so then there was a second tithe as well, and that was spent pretty much at one time in the year called the Feast of Tabernacles. And then there was third tithe, which would happen, what was it, every three years? Every three years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then uh, offerings on top of that. So basically it took any motivation away from you to actually do something with your life because you had to spend it all and give it to the church, right? That, that was pretty much the case, yes. I mean, yeah. think about, you know, uh, your listeners, think about uh, 30% of their income just being gone kind of automatically and having to live on 70% of, 
of, of the growth, uh, you know, before taxes. Yeah. Uh, it, it, did, it did create lots of financial hardships. Yeah. And again, for me back then, I was a believer and I, I followed the rules without question and all of that. And the opulence that the church embraced was scary. I, I never actually went to the campus in Pasadena, but describe for the listeners what the campus in Pasadena was like. It, wow, it's hard to describe. It, it, was, it, it was incredibly beautiful. Uh, yeah. uh, that, that is very true, but it was also, um, like I said, opulent. Uh, there was a, where the tr- primary church um, like services were held was in this huge auditorium that was famous for having a concert series. Uh, the the rug in the very beginning was a Persian rug that came from the Shah of Iran's palace, if I remember right. There, right. there was gold everywhere, and, and not just gold colors. Maybe it, it was literally gold leaving on everything. Um, uh, and, and you know, there was incredible um, landscaping. Uh, I remember the church at one point I discovered spent thousands of dollars each year just on water and irrigation to keep up the landscaping uh, on in in the church grounds there where the college w- was located. Dichondra, um, right? Sorry? It was Dichondra. That was the name of the plant. Yeah. I believe it was kind of yeah. like a an ivy of some sort. Right. But really expensive and really expensive to maintain. Instead of u- using a lawnmower, they would actually use tweezers to pull the weeds from the gardens. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And then there was okay. the business jet that was owned by the church. Right, right. They owned a, was it Gulfstream 2 or something like that? It was uh, a Gulfstream 3, actually. Expensive. Oh, that, that, that's right. That's right. Um, you know, and on the one hand, when I got there, I was just like over overwhelmed by the beauty of it because you know it's in Southern California, Pasadena, um, and it's a, you know it almost felt like an oasis because there was a, a lot of you know more industrial, not industrial, but a, a lot of like shops that sort of, that sort of stuff kind of surrounding where the campus was. Uh, but but the, you know. The more I was there, the more I thought, man, there's a ton of money being spent just to, just to upkeep this place, not only yeah. you know, to any sort of renovation or anything like that. And, uh, you know, the, the it was called Ambassador Auditorium, where the, the church services were held, and then they had concerts and that sort of thing. And it was just this incredible building with, uh, you know, um, incredible sculpture in front. And it was beautiful, but at the same time, also you know, cost a ton of money to create. And that was all of our tithes and offerings right there being funneled into it. Yeah. And then the requirement for the congregations around the globe was that we did not have a physical building, a physical church that we would go right. to. The church would rent auditoriums, school gymnasiums, et cetera, et cetera. And that is where we would meet so that the church, so that headquarters could hold on to all of the money and build all these wonderful monuments to themselves. Right, right. The, I remember the, at one point I heard a, uh, 
Uh, uh oh, just one second. My cat literally just stepped on my my, my keyboard here, and so I got to start another recording. <laughs> uh, Cats are really good at that. Yes, and hold on, let's see if it, okay, now it's working. Okay, so let's see, right, the auditorium uh, or the, the, you know, the different church congregations around the world, again, you're right, uh, very few of them had uh, their own church building. In where, where I grew up in, in northern Louisiana, northern central, we actually did have a, a church building, um, and the only reason that the church bought it was because it had been foreclosed on. It was a rare situation where um, the this uh, company had done some development, uh, and they thought it was going to be kind of a, a, a really nice area, uh, and they had built this, like, this little clubhouse. Um, but right. then what, what happened was um, they discovered it wasn't really in a floodplain, and so the homes, a lot of them just went uh, unsold, and uh, I think the company that owned the area, the development company, went bankrupt. And so the church was able to buy this clubhouse for you know, almost nothing. It was super cheap. So, so we were one of the very few congregations that actually had our, our own church building. But I do remember all the upkeep was laid on the local congregation. So I remember doing these fundraisers to uh, to do upkeep on the building. I, I remember we, uh, we 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 did the roofing ourselves. We went. I remember going up on top of the roof and uh, uh, putting down tar and that sort of stuff. Uh, it was a, an interesting sort of situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, uh, uh, there was one phrase I remember hearing at one point. Uh, the local congregations, uh, all we all we were really supposed to do is just pray and pay. We're supposed to pray for people at headquarters, and we're supposed to pay our tithes and our offerings, and that was it. That's yeah. all you really need to do at that point. Or, you know, um, you just pray and pay and so, obey. Pretty much what we all did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. How long did it take you to leave the organization? Oh, that's we went our separate ways after question. my uh, second year. I, you know, I, I, I got my degree there in Pasadena. Uh, I wound up going on to graduate school, uh, to a degree in communication. And after I got my master's degree, I went on to pursue the PhD, and I finished up uh, everything but the dissertation there. And at that point, I needed a job, so I found a, a full-time position here in Oregon at a, at a community college. And when I moved out here, uh, at that time, the church was starting to make doctrinal changes and become less of a cult, which which I felt I felt pretty positive about. Um, uh, but my ex-wife at that time. She felt less comfortable <laughs> with, with with the changes that were happening. The new truth, I think, is what they coined it as, right? R- right. The right. new that, truth. That, that's right. The, the, the new truth. Um, so, you know, we we wound up uh, splitting up, and during that that time, I was thinking, well, you know, I I I, I don't think I want to continue with this church and. 
thought, well, I could go to a different church. And I actually went to a few other churches just to kind of check them out. And then at that point, I realized, well, you know, I'm not sure if I even need this uh, in, in my life. It, it doesn't seem to be doing anything really positive for me. And it's all the I same like stuff. Direction. So I, I just, you know, within the space of really maybe three or four months, um, I went from attending church services to not at all. Yeah. So do you think that that your attendance prior to that switch was really just habit? It, yes, it, it was both habit and it was also, um, it, it was almost kind of a, a situation where I felt like it was just something I was supposed to do. You know, I grew up believing that you're just supposed to go to church. And my parents, I remember at one point, uh, told me we sat down and they said, well, if you, if you don't want to go to church anymore, you know, we're not going to force you to go. I think, you know, I was uh, 17, maybe we're not going to, they said, we're not going to force you to go to church anymore. So we, we do want this to be your choice, but I could really tell, <laughs> tell them that they, they really did want me to go to church, you know, um, and I did not want to disappoint them. So I, I said, no, no, I, I want to go to church. And it was, you know, it was something where I just kind of felt like it was something I was supposed to do. I will say that like last year or so that I attended the church, church services, you know, every Saturday, it was, it was a slog <laughs> to, get, to get there. I just, I didn't really want to go. It was only four hour sermons. What's but, your yeah, problem? Uh, Pretty much, uh, yeah. And I think about it too. They actually had me giving little sermonettes. They they called them little yeah. minute sermonettes. And then the the minister would give the longer, what was it, an hour and twenty minute sermons or something like that. Unless Gerald um, Waterhouse came to visit, and then anything went. I mean, sometimes right. his his rants would go on for two, three hours. At least that was my oh, yeah. experience. Yeah, I, I remember seeing him a few times as well. And yeah, he could go on for forever, it, it seemed. Yeah. So, but, you know, it, it, it was kind of interesting. My parents wound up, after I left the, the cult, they also wound up eventually leaving the cult as well. Um, but they they became... They went back to the Baptist Church. They had been both been Southern Baptists before they left the Southern Baptist Church to go into the cult. Right. And they went back to being Southern Baptists again, um, which has its own it, it, its own issues for, from my perspective, anyway. But you know, I, I you know, I, I got to admit, I began to question you know why why I believed as I had, and I realized that much of it was based upon just growing up with it. And yeah. I thought, well, you know, if I, if I had grown up in Tibet, you know, l- l- looking at what I believed, would I think I was, you know, you know, just, just kind of snowed under, what, you know, what, what would I, what would I believe? And I realized that I had never really cast a critical eye on my own beliefs, like I had done on other people's beliefs. Mm-hmm. And as we were encouraged to do in our belief system, right? Right. That's right. We're right, no, and everyone else is wrong, and this believed, is how we, we prove it. We believe everyone else in the world was was deceived. Yeah. 
and I do I do mean everyone. I mean all Catholics, all all yeah. Protestant Christians who were not members of the cult, uh, Buddhists, uh, Hindus, uh, people, Muslims. We we believe that everyone else in the world was deceived. Yeah, uh, that uh, Satan, the devil, had caused them to be deceived. And only the very few people who believed as we believed were 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 um, uh, not the really chosen. Saved, but, well, I guess we could say, but 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 we were the ones who knew the truth. Yeah, right? and and everyone else was deceived. Which you know, if, if not to bring up too much of the Waco thing, but you know, the Branch Davidians were our kind of our spiritual cousins. They mm-hmm. also came out of the, the Seventh Day Adventist Church, as did this cult that you and I were in. Yeah, um, we, we we just didn't go go into a commune there in East Texas, but you know we believed a lot of the same things that, that they, uh, yeah, that they believed, and I guess still believe that uh, there are still branch Davidians. So I know with Anna, she's always wondered at my reaction whenever Christianity comes up. She sees my my head spin about forty <laughs> times on my neck, and I start breathing fire and smoke and comes out of pea soup. Exactly, <laughs> and she's beginning, I think, to understand why I have such a visceral response. And I mean, the whole political climate in the states right now, and we have similar things going on in Canada, but not nearly to the same degree. But it's that whole us and them thing that the Bible, I mean, you can blame whatever religions, but it's all based in a book that is not about bringing people together. It's about separating. It's about judgment Mm -hmm. and condemnation. Do you agree? Uh, Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I completely agree. Um, and let's face it, you know, even though you could argue that in the New Testament there are some things about Jews and Gentiles, you know, being being together, that sort of thing. Yeah. Primarily throughout the whole bulk of the book, it, it, it definitely is a, there's a division there that God is privileging one group of people over another group of people. He's commanding Israelites to kill, you know, the, the Canaanites and... Killing their children, their women, right. and their animals. Right. Right? Right. That's yeah. right. That's right. And so we wonder why we have the Donald Trumps and his supporters. Yeah. 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 I have a, a, a good friend who you might have a chance to, to interview at some point, uh, Dan Henry, but we talked once about uh, he, had, he had given uh, like some Bible story stuff to his son. And his son read through it, and he was like, "Well, Dad, I don't know this. This God in here is really vengeful and spiteful. I, I just don't think I can go along with <laughs> with, with the yeah. sort of belief system." Um, and Dan was like, "Well, I tried." <laughs> you know, so. Did his Christian duty? Uh, yeah, 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 kind of. Yeah, Dan. Dan would say he. I think Dan would probably say, "But he is kind of a Christian, but but not." not the sort of Christian that most of everyone thinks of. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, if you get a chance to interview him, you, you, uh, might, might ask him about that. Sure. I, I know for myself, I, my mother went to a Baptist church when I was young and my father was an atheist. 
And so I did go to a Baptist church for a period of time, but I was like your friend's son. I I said to myself, well, okay, as I understand it, I'm here to learn how to be a good human being, but everything that I'm hearing is things that I think are really not a good idea. And yeah. it doesn't sound to me like this is the kind of person I want to be. And then I look at the elders of the church and they're mean and and nasty and judgmental and not people I even want to know. So I went home and said to my mom, like, if if this is supposed to teach me how to be as an adult, I would rather learn from somebody else. And uh, so I don't want to go. And fortunately, because my dad was an atheist, I had that option to just stay home. And uh, they never they never pushed it after that. But I couldn't understand how all of the adults in the room couldn't just go, hang on a second here. Like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, why were they going along with this stuff? Because you're taught not to question. Yeah. If you question, then you are questioning God. And so it's an exercise of faith. That's right. what it all comes down to. So trust me, my child, I am inspired by God. I guess now I just bend over. I guess I just wasn't indoctrinated enough to buy into that. I was yeah. like, well, okay, uh, that doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Right. I couldn't yeah, suspend I... belief long enough to say, okay, well, I get that, you know, I want to be this hateful, ranting human being up on the podium here. Right. Anyway. Yeah, I remember at one point, uh, I think that was when I was in Pasadena, yeah, I began to have some some doubts about um, not only the way that we were interpreting the Bible, but just the Bible in general. And uh, one of the ministers said, well, you, you, just, you just need to go on a fast. And fasting is where you don't eat or drink. Um, yeah. Those of you who don't know. And so he's like, you just need to go on a fast. And so I did, and I realized that, that the whole reason for him wanting me to do this was so that I would feel, you know, d diminished and feel what it would be like to maybe head toward death. And if you think yeah. you're going to die and if you don't have faith, then you're really scared. That was kind of the basic idea. Uh, and I don't think I got anything out of the fast other than I just decided to go along with everything, continue. And, and I thought, well, you know, maybe, maybe I'm, maybe I'm having these doubts uh, you know, for, for no good reason. And these really, you know, you've been given over to a reprobate mind. Yeah. You're given over to the devil when you begin to question your belief. Yep. Yep. That, that, that's, that's, I do this exactly way right. too well. That, that, those were our, that's what we believed at that time that, uh, yeah. you know, the devil was just influencing you to have doubts. And so if you had doubts, that was evidence. That, that was evidence that the devil was there and was influencing you. Yeah. Mm. And so, when you took these other forays into other belief systems, did you discover, as I did, that it's same old, same old? Y yes. Um, 
uh, let's see. I remember I, I had a t- it was interesting because uh, as we probably will, will get into at some point, I, uh, I I perform magic, and in our local local magicians group, um, there were two people who were ardent atheists, uh, agnostics, pretty famous in the magic community, and there were two people who were also in our magic group who were Lutheran pastors. Um, wow! So and, and I became friends friends with all of them. And uh, the, the first church that I went to after I stopped going to the, the cult, uh, I went to one of the Lutheran churches. And, you know, on, on the one hand, it wasn't really the, you know, the fire and brimstone sort of thing. But at the same time, it still had this undercurrent of us versus them, that we are the, you know, we're, we're the chosen and other people aren't, and we have to bring them into the fold, you know. So Yay, that verily, brother. Me off. The, the, my, the two people who were still Lutheran pastors, they, they still remain, I mean, remain friends with them. It was, it was fine, but but uh, I, I, I didn't really like the vibe there. Uh, the only place I went to that kind of liked the vibe was actually the Unitarian Church. Um, we have friends that Unitarian, attend. They don't really have any religious beliefs in a sense. Well, you, well, you can have religious beliefs, but you don't have to in the Unitarian Church. Yeah, you just try to get together with social good. So I, I did like, um, I, I did like that group. Okay, um, but at the same time, it was one of the situations where I thought, well, I could get up and go to this place, but I don't think I need, <laughs> I don't think I need to anymore. I, I, I feel okay with where I'm at. Uh, related to this topic, so I didn't uh, go ahead and pursue the Unitarian uh, Church. Um, but uh, you, you know, as I kind of cast about and explored other belief systems, the only one that really kind of well, aspects of the only one that really kind of um, appealed to me more than any other was Buddhism. Um, mm-hmm. So there are aspects of Buddhism that that I uh, depends on how you define Buddhism. You can define Buddhism as a uh, Kind of as a, as a philosophy, uh, you could look at it more as a religion, and the religious aspect has a lot more to do with the karma and the, you know, the reincarnation and that sort of thing. The philosophy has more to do with the, the meditation and mindfulness and that sort of thing. So I, 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 I like the kind of secular aspects of Buddhism um, a lot more than the kind of religious aspects. I, I'm way oversimplifying Buddhism, but but that's that's probably a, not an totally unfair sort of uh, way of looking at it. Yeah, but it's your perspective, and that's, we all have to make things work for us, right? Mm-hmm. We have right, a friend right. who is an atheist Buddhist. Yeah. And oh, app- r- r- right, right. Apparently that's perfectly legitimate. Yes, yes, a- 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 absolutely. Um, there, There is no necessary deity involved with Buddhism. Um or there are multiple deities that can be involved with Buddhism, depending upon the, the the type of Buddhism right. and 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 the kind of the cultural cultural background of the people who are who are involved with it. Um, yeah, Buddhism is, is a very interesting subject uh, to, to study. I've I've read oh I don't know maybe ten or twelve books uh, on the subject, and and uh, it's, it's it's very interesting. But I I, I do like the kind of mindfulness meditation aspects. So I can't see, don't seem to be able to get myself to meditate for very long. Uh, but, but, uh, I'm, I'm heartened by the idea that you don't have to do it for very long for it still to be helpful. 
well, if you're really good at it, you can meditate in five seconds. That's my right, philosophy. Right. That's me. I'm, I'm, I'm so good at it. <laughs> I don't I don't know if I'm that good at it, but, but uh, I, I've tried meditating for, for longer periods of time occasionally, and uh, my monkey mind just starts jumping around, or my monkey mind goes to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we have a, a number of listeners that come from various backgrounds, and I'd like to st- say at this point that the last thing that we want to do is offend you. If you have particular right. religious beliefs that work for you, then by all means do it. But if your beliefs encourage you to believe that you are better than anyone else, then I would say that your beliefs are not serving you. And we are seeing... Yeah major examples of that in the United States right now and around the globe. But I mean, it's the American situation that's in everyone's face. And so I invite anyone that is a believer of whatever religious system, I invite you to dig in real deep and ask yourself if your beliefs bring you closer to others bring you closer to your creator or do they make you feel isolated and make you feel the need to judge others? And that's the only thing that I would suggest. Do you have anything else to add to that, Jay? Good question. Uh, no, I, I, I think you've really kind of, kind of put in a very succinct way. I mean, I, I still have, like, like I said, I, my two friends who are who are Lutheran pastors, uh, both of which have since moved away from the area, but I, I keep in touch with one of them. Um, you know, I you know we kind of bad mouth, not really bad mouth Christianity, but was, you know our background that was more native had to do with uh, like a Christian cult. But you know, my my friend who's a Lutheran pastor, he he doesn't seem to allow that that belief system to cause him to not want to reach out to others and be connected with others. So he seems to be able to have that belief system and, and, and not feel superior uh, to others. So yeah, I don't think necessarily just because, you know, uh, you believe what, you know, one of the, one of the Middle, East, Middle Eastern religious perspectives, uh, you know, Judaism, Christianity, or, or Islam. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's necessarily problematic if it works for you, and again, if it doesn't cause you to feel judgmental of, of others, um, the problem and, is and, though. And I have a, um, a vow. Uh, my wife, yeah. uh, she has a friend who is, I think, an Episcopal priest. I talked to uh, him yesterday, actually. Oh, okay, good, good, good. But again, he also doesn't seem to have any of those sorts of of. Um, attitudes that are, are judgmental or, or put, you know, where you yeah. put other people off from him, uh, because of his belief system. I think he even said to Val at one point, you know, the, the Christian story just speaks to him. Um, but it, it doesn't mean that he, he negates other people's stories and experiences. Well, he also refers to documents that are much older than the current book the unedited uh, documents. And that's part of the problem is, is you have a, a book there, a 
compilation of various ideas, various authors, each and every one claiming that they were inspired of God. And then you have editors who come in and say, well, that passage isn't clear enough. Let us make it more clear for you. And translations as well. I mean, it's very easy to choose uh, one slightly different meaning over another in Mm -hmm. a translation. Right. Exactly right. Which, which, right. (laughs) Which is one of the reasons why, um, if you just read, I'm firmly, firmly convinced if you just read the English translation, you're missing so much of the meaning that someone from uh, that that culture reading the original language would have understood. Um, mm-hmm. I, I even think about just, you know, I have students from other countries in my classes, and a lot of times they just they don't understand the, the context for some of the language that's used in English. I mean, generally the international students here are some of the brightest students. That's the reason they're, they're able to come here to the U.S., and they've learned English in a more of a formal way, so they may understand the English very well, but they don't understand the cultural like issues like the slang or jargon or the cultural um, perspective that would allow, like for example, a pun to make sense uh, or other kind of linguistic choices like that. Mm-hmm. And so I, I have to spend some time, sometimes, you know, just going back through things and explaining, you know, the, the words that were said by maybe by another student in a presentation uh, to my international students. And I think we're, we're all, you know, all of us from this culture who read a book that was translated from ancient languages into English, we're, we're in the same spot. You know, we, we don't understand. Right. Do you, having had this Christian background, do you feel like you have a sense of where these Christian supporters of Trump are coming from? Like, what is the the motivation? What I've been struggling with as a maybe non-Christian is how can a group of people who who ascribe to a set of morals, which I thought were about, you know, peace and love, how can they support a man who is so openly racist and misogynist? Yeah, that's 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 a great question. Um, I think what I think what happens often, at least for for a good number of those people, is that they would say, "Well, you know, I don't like those parts of Trump's perspective, but but I like the fact that he's willing to be plain spoken." So, so they're they're privileging. They're privileging that, that they're like, well, at least he's willing to say things that other people aren't willing to say, uh, and, and we like that. Unfiltered. And then, I'm sorry? Jeff? Unfiltered. Right, right. He doesn't mince and, words. He just, blah, that's what it is. Whereas Obama right. was really good at giving a, a wonderful speech, but in the end result was is the people were still getting screwed. Right, right. Yeah. And and I also think a lot of them would would argue that they they like some of the things that he wants to accomplish, it, so they're willing to overlook all those those kind of things that that don't jive with their stated morals. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the things he's you know 
comments he's made about women and, and that sort of thing. Uh, you know, and abortion is a huge issue. So for a lot of those folks, and so for them, the chance that he would um, elect a or or, or um, put put more Supreme Court justices on the court that are conservative, so that Roe v. Wade might be overturned. That is like a you know major goal for a lot of those folks. That as you know, for many of them, that's almost like the most important issue. Forgetting everything else, that that that's the most important issue. Um, you know, and uh, another thing which comes up, and I thought about this some. Um, people, people's beliefs sometimes get kind of. Um, it's almost like they become like like a fossil where they believe a certain thing, which may have made sense at one time, but doesn't really make sense anymore. For, yeah. for example, you know, a lot of people from that religious perspective they they think that more of a conservative. Uh, what we might call like a supply side approach to, to economics is, is better. Um, that it encourages um, encourages individuals to try to strive to to do better. So you know, you have the idea is you have lower taxes, right? And the old Reaganomics idea that if you have lower taxes, yeah, rich people will get richer, but a lot of it will trickle down to people who aren't rich. Well, maybe at one time that may have made some level of sense. Uh, whenever you know CEOs and people in higher administration weren't weren't making a ton more money than the average person, they might make you know they made more money, but not it wasn't this obscenely larger amount. Well, that may have been true a few decades ago, but today when you look at the the income inequality that exists, um, when rich people get richer because of lower taxes. There's not nearly enough trickling down for it to make sense. Um, you know, you have, you have so much wealth now being concentrated among, you know, to, we, the whole 99% thing, but, but among the 1%, you have so much wealth being concentrated up there, and there's so much disparity now between what used to be the middle class and, and, and the wealthy uh, that the same economic policies that may have made sense decades ago don't really make sense. Yet a lot of people still think they should. And so they continue to want to support candidates who seem to be saying those things. You know, yeah. make America great again. That came right from Reagan. Uh, that was just like a, a slight tweak of something that, something that Reagan said. Uh, and, and so I, I think that accounts, you know, that's one of the reasons why I, I think anyway, as I kind of read done some reading and, and, and polls and that sort of thing that seems to account for some of those people, uh, you know, going along for Trump. And, you know, let's face it, there's also an issue related to racism. And even though, you know, people who were religious may say that they love everyone, there's still a lot of racism and xenophobia embedded in those people's police systems still anyway. Um, and so, you know, the whole immigration thing, uh, you know the the caravan of of immigrants going to invade the U.S. and that sort of thing. Um, I think that also explains some of Trump supporters. It, one of the things that has been uh, talked about a little online, on at least where I've been reading, is 
that there is a serious lack of critical thinking going on. Like, you know, you were talking about the whole idea of trickle down, and yet there's been plenty of studies to prove that trickle down economics doesn't work. Um, And yet they still believe that it does. And that that's just, you know, an exhibition of, of a lack of critical thinking. Um, And I'm curious if, if you feel like the American system of education or the, the quality or lack thereof in the American education system is perhaps partly responsible for people being willing to swallow these ideas hook, line, and sinker? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, let's see. There's a guy named Richard Paul, uh, and I forget what university he's at, but he's he's uh, one of the major uh, thinkers and scholars related to critical thinking. And uh, I, I know I've read some things that he's written about how it, it can be really challenging to to teach kind of general critical thinking skills that uh, th- that a person, a student, might learn to think relatively critically about um, one particular topic, but that doesn't necessarily translate to them then thinking critically about a different topic. Um, yeah. You know, um, w- w- when I grew up uh, in, in the cult, I was... Uh, and, and, and at least still am pretty skeptical about a lot of claims made for for the supernatural and the paranormal, but but I never applied <laughs> applied that to, to to my own belief. Um, and my, my friend Dr. Ray Hyman, who uh, Jeff, you might want to interview at some time, one of the foremost skeptics of the, in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, he has friends who are you know members of particular churches or other groups. And they're very happy to apply their critical thinking skills and skepticism about other other belief systems, but they never want to turn it on their own. Uh, it's one of those interesting sort of situations. So, is it due to the educational system? Uh, perhaps partially. It may also be something that's just kind of part of of, of human beings um, uh, to to want to kind of believe what we believe and we look for, you know, there's confirmation bias that all of us seem to have where we look for evidence that supports our beliefs. Um, and kill and those that don't believe. That is, it's, it's hard. It's, it's challenging. Um, can, can, can all of us educationally do a better job of helping people develop critical, you know, more general critical thinking skills? Yeah, I, I, I think that's definitely true. Um, and, is it something that that uh, that the that rests only with the educational system? I, I think that's also not true. That it would rest only with the educational system. It really is kind of a personal thing that we all have to kind of, you know, be, be hopefully motivated to to be a bit skeptical of our own beliefs. I, I, I try to be humble about whatever I believe because there have been lots of times that I believe something and then I discovered it wasn't true. And so I, I, all, all the beliefs I hold, I try to keep a certain level of humbleness about them and not, not think that they are cut in stone. Because sure enough, sometimes I'm going to do some research, uh, at least related to some of them, and I'll discover that I'm not, I'm not right. 
Mm-hmm. I'm humble about what I believe, and I'm very proud of it. <laughs> there, there you go. Mm-hmm. Of course you are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's the Jeff Tolsner I remember. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, I mean, in all of this discussion, what I'm reminded of is the steps that I had to take to come out of that belief system. And it was using critical thinking and it was being willing to use the same thought process, how I judged other belief systems. I did apply it in my own life and it ultimately led me out of that belief system. And I went through a bit of a nuclear meltdown, as I'm sure you did to one degree or another. But in the end, instead of being bitter about it, I looked at it as a wonderful tool, something that I used to determine if what I am doing, if what I believe is accurate or not. And I agree with the whole humility thing. You, you research something to a point where you figure that you have an understanding of it and you try to interpolate that Try to live your life according to that new paradigm, if you will. And you just continue to do so until proven otherwise. And to me, there's a lot of strength in that because I'm not looking outside of myself. What is my truth, Mr. Minister? What is it that I'm supposed to believe? No, it's okay. Based on my research, based on my experience, this is who I am. This is what I believe. And it makes you stand that much firmer in your integrity, if you will. Because again, you're not looking outside of yourself. You're looking inside of yourself. And when you do temper it with that humility, when you're saying, okay, this is what I believe, but I am open to questions. I am open to thought processes that will either reconfirm my belief, or if you can prove otherwise, then okay, it's back to the drawing board. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Yes, definitely. I mean, while I am currently, uh, you know, like I said, I was calling for the Democratic Party the other night. You know, years ago, when I was in that other Christian sort of group, you know, if, if we had been voting and we didn't vote then, uh, just let your your, yeah. your listeners know, we, you know that, that was that was forbidden. We, we weren't supposed to be involved with worldly affairs. We yeah. didn't vote. But I, I would have voted Republican. You know, um, my you know at, at that time, you know, abortion would have been an issue, and I would have believed that. Well, we, we, yeah, we want to have lower taxes. And so, smaller government, you know, um, that that was that would have been a big deal because it's it's fairer, you know. And, yeah. and I'm not sure who it's fairer too, but I thought it was fair. Uh, and I, without looking at any evidence, I, I just I did believe a trickle down economics sort of thing. Uh, but since since then, after doing you know some reading and research and talking to uh, some friends who who are economists, and, and not just liberal economists. I had some friends who are quite conservative economists uh, and, and talking with them about different economic theories and, and ideas. I've come to realize that 
well, what smaller government means for Republicans is not actually smaller government. They, they still want to spend a lot of money on the military and that sort of thing, but less money for education, less money for any social programs, uh, less money for things which actually help people who are poor and, and, yeah. and, and not as, uh, as well off as the wealthy people. Um, that's what they really mean. They, they, they don't actually say that, but that's, that's what, what that really means. Um, and when I look at you know economic theories and trickle down economics, again, all the studies, even, even the conservative conservative economists that I had talked to said, well, yeah, we realize according to the research, it doesn't actually work. Uh, we, 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 we would like to think that it does, but but it doesn't really work. Uh, so after I you know I, I started looking at those issues, my own political views then changed and morphed uh, right. over time. Um, and you know, thinking about you know, coming kind of life imploding. I still remember the first day to today. I still remember the very first day. It was a Saturday that I didn't go to church, and I felt <laughs> so weird. I remember that feeling. I went to the just, park, bought a six pack of beer, and smoked a cigar on a Saturday <laughs> afternoon. Oh wow! You you were you were definitely you know, sitting there then. So, oh yeah. And then four weeks later, I was jumping out of airplanes. They told me that if I left the church, if I turned my back on my belief system, that God would turn his back on me or actually curse me. So I figured, Hey, let's get this, this sucker over with. So I started jumping out of airplanes and I'm still alive. (laughs) Still alive and kicking. Yep. Yeah. And cursing, uh, too. You know, my, my mom, um, who, who I love very much, and, and she now has moved in with us, uh, she used to you know, want me to go to church. Even after I left the, the, the cult, she would still yeah. want me to go to church. And uh, you know, her, her claim was always, well, you know, if you would go to church, God would bless you more. And she, she said she, she wasn't too worried about my, you know, my my eternal salvation or anything. She thought I was okay, but, yeah. but she just thought I was giving up on blessings uh, by not going to church. Well, I don't know. I've been in contact with a few people who kept on going to church, and they don't seem to be blessed more than me. And some of them are dealing with much greater challenges than yeah. you know, health issues and that sort of thing than I am. So I don't, I don't know, Mom. I'm not, not sure. Of course, of course you can't. Can't prove it, right? Maybe, maybe she was right. Maybe if I had just gone on to church, any church, you know, I'd be in a mansion now or something. I, I, I doubt it, but uh. you know, that's a that's a funny thing to bring up because that's one of the things that always struck me as odd about about religious belief. This idea that um, if you're truly holy, you're going to be rich. Um, and some churches take that farther than others, but. It seems like a bizarre motivation for going to church. <laughs> yeah, it's a very selfish motivation, isn't it? Yeah, it's like contrary to the... But they would never admit that. Never. Well, yeah. Yeah. There goes my critical thinking skills again. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so before we change the topic... Yes. Is there, or are there... Any songs that you think would be appropriate 
for me, I think in terms of movies or songs when it comes to my philosophy and the experiences in my life. And I asked the same question of your much better half. And she offered up a couple suggestions. And so I'm giving you the same opportunity. Songs. Huh. That's a great question. She should have told me about it beforehand. That way I could have thought about it. Yeah. Uh, You're a smart man. You can think about it right now. Song. Let huh. Let me think about that. Um, well, the, the first one to come to mind, I, I think actually was from a Canadian artist. Um, uh, that song back from the, what, 70s, uh, Seasons in the Sun. Um, that they're, they're We had joy, we had fun. Yeah, that, 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 that's it. Okay. That's it. Um, you know, that, that, that there's, there's different times for, for, in our lives for different things, and, and that's okay. That, that's okay that, that we had, you know, fun in the sun at some time in our life, and then it'll be okay when it's our time to pass on. Right. Um, and so, so that, that's one thing, one song that comes to mind. Let me think about that for a moment, too. Um, uh, and and then our, uh, Rush, uh, the group Rush, also from Canada. Ah, interesting. We love CanCon, man. <laughs> Can, Canadian Rush content. Had the song uh, "Roll the Bone." Oh yeah, for sure. Yes. And, and the question: Why does it happen? Because it happens, and you know the idea is that, uh, at least the way I interpreted at least some of the lyrics of the song, was that yes, it's natural for us to search for meaning. But at the same time, sometimes we get this we get this idea, well, everything has to have meaning. And if something poor happens to us that they had to mean something. And and maybe not. Maybe maybe life happens to all of us. Yeah. As and we say, there, shift there's value happens. in just learning that life crap happens to us all and we can learn from it, but there's not anything necessarily that's uh, necessarily causing it to happen for us to learn anything in particular, other than the idea that life happens. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, two, two Canadian uh, artists I, that, that popped in my head right away. I don't think it's because of you being in Canada. I think it's just two songs that uh, have spoken to me over the years. No, I think it's just because I was Canadian. I was a stranger in a very strange land. Yeah. And you and I were friends, and I just infected you with intelligence that you were not used to. <laughs> sure, let's go with that. <laughs> 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 well, well, well. I'm going to be humble about my beliefs. This one say, well, that could be. You know, I, I haven't, I haven't processed that yet, but I'll think about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we'll play those two songs right now, and then we'll be back. You're listening to Shift Happens. My name is Jeff. And I'm Anna. And if you've been tuned into the show, you know that we're interviewing my best buddy from college, Jay Frazier. Or is it Frazier or Fraser? Frazier. Um, Frazier? With a should in there, Frazier. So. Okay. Yeah. I should know, but, 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 but. I answer to pretty much any pronunciation. Hey, you. Just for clarity, yep. Jay, what do you teach at college? Well, I teach uh, I teach in the speech and communication studies uh, area. So I this year I'm primarily teaching a course in interpersonal communication, 
and of course, uh, in listening and critical thinking. Yeah. And then I also, depending upon what our schedule is, I teach uh, like a basic communication class, which is kind of a hybrid class that covers different types of presentation, including public speaking. And I also have taught public speaking, uh, intercultural communication, uh, group communication. So pr- pretty pretty wide range of different communication courses that I have taught. But right now I'm teaching primarily interpersonal and then listening. Could you say that again? <laughs> I wasn't no. listening. <laughs> so what? You know, I, I will say that 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 one of the good things that did come out of my time at that Bible college where we met, yeah, was was the emphasis on public speaking that they had there, and I, I was deathly afraid of public speaking. I hated it. Uh, I got to where it wasn't so bad, but I still never really enjoyed it. And which is one of the reasons why I started studying it when I went to graduate school, because I thought, man, I really want to try to get a handle on why I hate this process so much and how you know afraid I am of it. And so it's kind of ironic now that I sometimes teach public speaking, even though I hate it so much in, in college. Uh, so and, and I probably would not have gone that route if it wasn't for that Bible college. So I guess there's one good thing, two good things from that Bible college. I, I got to meet you. And we became best buddies, and you're still my best friend from college. Uh, and I don't like that. Uh, yeah, you're still my best friend from college. <laughs> I've got many other best well, friends, though. Yeah, just was, kidding, buddy. Just in kidding. Contact for, 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 for years, unfortunately. So good. That's just one great thing about the internet and Facebook and stuff. We've been able to reconnect. Yeah. I, I tried to find you um, over the years a couple of times, but that was. You know, that was years ago, yeah. and I, I couldn't find you. Couldn't find you anywhere. So That's because I used an alias on Facebook. Right. And there's right. still part of me that wishes I was still doing that. I'm not a real big fan of Facebook. No, I'm not either. Another Very religious rarely. system, in my opinion. Another situation where you've got one fat cat at the top of the shift pile, and... He's there because of taking advantage of everyone else that's feeding that machine. But that's another story. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, what I, I wanted to I'm ask not on you very much either. What's that? I'm not on Facebook very often. Yeah. Um, yeah. But so what I wanted to ask you to help us reconnect. So. Yes. Uh, so what I wanted to ask you is, why did you get into magic? Well, another thing related to that uh, that church uh, that we both attended, uh, you might recall that people who wanted to become ministers uh, didn't choose; they were chosen, right? So, and then if you were chosen to become a minister, you would go out and you were what was called a ministerial trainee. So you yeah. go out and and like work with a minister that was already established, so you could learn to become a minister yourself. And when I was four years old. Um, we had a ministerial trainee in our area, and the minister, along with the trainee, came to visit my mom. And while uh, they were there, uh, the ministerial trainee, who was just a you know young college guy, yeah. showed me a card trick and fooled me. I I didn't know how he did it. And, of course, he, he followed the magician's rules. He, he wouldn't tell me how he did it. But it annoyed me so much <laughs> that he wouldn't tell me how he did it. 
that uh, the next time we went to the library, uh, my mom was a voracious reader, and I was already checking out books by then. Uh, I had her check out all, or I checked out all the kids' books on magic and uh, had her read them to me because I wanted to learn how he did that card trick. Right. And I didn't learn the secret from those books. So then I, ha- I had her check out all the books on magic from the, from the adult section. Uh, and she re- read a lot of them, all the card magic sections to me because I was just so motivated to find out how that, how that trick was done. So, so I was in that, that I got bit by the magic bug at that point. So I was, you know, I love magic and I, you know, read all the books from the library over and over again on magic and got magic kits and sets and that sort of thing. And that lasted till I was uh, in high school. In high school, other other things kind of took over. The magic of girls. That's exactly right. Yeah, that is exactly what uh, what what took over there. So um, even though, interestingly enough, at, at that cult we were in, we weren't supposed to date people who weren't also in the cult. Yep. So that made the you know the available girls that you could be interested in was much smaller subset than all the people around. So I didn't actually really have any dates until I got into college. Um, yeah. And because well, I had a couple, just a couple of dates before then because like I didn't really like any of the girls that were in the cult there in in our area. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 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 anyway. So but yeah. But in general, other things kind of took over my interest. And that lasted until I graduated from from college there in Pasadena, uh, and I got a job. So I, I had a job, I had a little bit of money coming in, and I thought, um, oh, oh, and and one of the people, one of the guys who was in my dorm there in California, ha- had also been a magician as well. And I don't remember how it came up. It came up, and so uh, we were talking. Uh, about it, he actually wound up uh, leaving school. Um, I don't remember exactly the reason why, but he wound up leaving school uh, during my senior year. So when I when I graduated, I had a little bit of money. I thought, well, maybe I'll get back into magic again, mm-hmm. and found a local magic shop and bought a couple of books, and and that was it. I was back back into magic. There's something about there's something about you know learning the secrets that's that's really appealing. For, for, for a lot of people. And to, to me, I always found it really fascinating how magic is tend to be uh, set up. Because if you think about like, uh, like, like, uh, like however, however an effect is accomplished. So, so let's say I'm just going to vanish, um, vanish a coin, right? So if, if you imagine the process to do so, it's like a straight line from, you show the coin, and then the coins vanish. So you imagine it's like a straight line from one to the other. When you, when you actually learn how this, what the secrets are to magic, it's like you're, you're going on this crooked journey all over the place to get to that final step. Right. It's not the straight line. It's this other crooked journey you have to go on, but the audience doesn't know about that crooked journey that all the other steps you have to go on. I always found it really fascinating to learn how you could go on this other journey here to, to accomplish that task that the audience wouldn't know about. I always found that really fascinating about how it was put together. Um, Sounds so like something Donald Trump would do. In doing a sense. Hmm. Very interesting. 
So how is it possible that someone can't share with you how they do the trick, but it's somehow okay for them to write a book about it? You know, that, that's, that's a really interesting question. It's one of those ethical questions that magicians kind of go back and forth about. Yeah. Um, so the, the basic thinking is, is this, and, and I'll just kind of summarize it. The basic thinking is that the secrets are important and shouldn't be shared. Uh, let's see, so, some of the secrets. Okay, let, 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 me put, uh, let me back up. Okay, so some of the secrets are kind of like, public domain secrets that, you know, most people who are into magic know about. And so anyone who wants to learn magic should be able to learn those if they put forth the effort to do it. So one of the things which makes the exposure television shows, um, a lot of magicians don't like those where, where just the secrets are exposed. Right. Most magicians don't like those because there's no effort they have to put in to, to learn the secrets, you just click the button and you're watching it. You know, there's yeah. no effort hadn't been put in. Mm-hmm. But if you have to go to the library and find the Dewey Decimal System numbers, which is 793.8, if you have to do that and then go and check the book out, you're having to put forth some effort and energy. Right. So in a sense, you, you, um, you're a seeker. Have earned the right. Yeah. You, you've earned the right then to, to learn. Yeah. Um, and what it used to be back in um, the world of magic from, you know, pretty much, well, time immemorial until around the 1960s to 70s, to go beyond just the, the basic secrets that most anyone could learn, like from the basic magic books, you really had to, to work hard. You had to go find a magician who was willing to share. His, and it usually was his secrets with you. Uh, there were some women magicians, but but let's face it, women have other types of power. Uh, they don't need magic tricks. No, nope. uh, they, they they have feminine power, which is different, right? So uh, I totally know, agree, and I've got the female magicians. Uh, yeah, not that long ago, the the Magic Castle gave the uh, Close Up Magician of the Year award to a female magician. Her name is uh, Suzanne. And she, she's fantastic. So there are definitely some fantastic female magicians, but let's face it, mainly it's men. Yeah. Uh, so it used to be you'd have to go find a magician who'd be willing to teach you, to, to mentor you. Um, and in fact, some of, the, some of the most, you know, um, the most exclusive secrets really are still kind of shared that way, where you find someone who's willing to, to mentor you right. uh, and teach you. But, but what happened starting in 1970s and moving into the 80s was more magicians began to share some of the, the better secrets, like in books, and as video recording became available, uh, there became uh, videos and now DVDs. Uh, just one second. Can't let my cat out. No, she's not going to go out. Uh, my cat wants to go out, so I'm going to let her out. There we go. Because I... Don't want her using the bathroom in the room in here with me. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, so, yeah, a lot of secrets now are available to magicians. You kind of have to know where to go to, to find a lot of them. Um, but there's a lot more, uh, a lot more learning avenues available today than there were just a, a few decades ago. 
You know, well, and it's just the internet has opened up a. There's a lot of stuff online. Yeah, um, exactly. Fine. Yeah. Have you uh, ever? I forget the guy's name. I presume that you have Netflix. Yes. There's a guy. I, I'm not sure if Anna will remember his name or not, but we watched it. It was really quite brilliant where he was. It was a special on faith healing. So here he was, a magician, and he was teaching all of the tricks used by faith healers. And it really was quite fascinating. It went on for, I guess, maybe an hour, hour and a half. And so he taught what these traveling evangelists, the the tricks that they would use to make people feel better. And he was actually able to do that with the people in the audience. And he, right at the onset, he said, I am a full-on atheist. I do not believe in a higher power or any of this stuff. But I can heal you. But I can heal you. And Was that James Randi? That might be his name. I I don't remember. Bald guy, English? Oh, that probably was Darren Brown, actually. Hmm. Uh, English uh, was probably Darren Brown. Okay. Um, but but uh, the amazing Randy James Randy has also been doing the same sort of um, thing where he would you know you know expose faith healers that sort of stuff for for many years. Uh, he's also from Canada. <laughs> Interesting connection there. Canadians are so uh, smart. So uh, yeah, James Randy, um, and I think he's now living in Florida. But yeah, that was probably Darren Brown, who is one of the primary, um, one of the biggest names in magic uh, in coming out of England. Okay. Uh, at this point, um, I haven't watched all of Brown's uh, stuff on on online yet. I, I really should. He's got some fantastic stuff out that uh, that he does. Mm-hmm. So and there was also the other guy from England is Dynamo, uh, but I don't think there'll be something Dynamo would do. He's more of a close up magician. Uh, like kind of like, kind of like a David Blaine sort of okay uh, sort of format. So that pro- probably was Darren Brown. Yeah, very I mean, cool. It, um, it's it's very interesting um, with like the faith knowing and that sort of stuff. Uh, James Randi, who did a lot of the initial you know exposures of those sorts of people, um, he and uh, his foundation had. Or they may still have. I need to look it up. Uh, they had a million dollar uh, prize available to anyone who, under test conditions, could do that sort of, you know, either you know, the, the faith healing or psychic sort of healing or any, any sort of, you know, telepathy or anything like that. And uh, I was actually on a team about 15 years or so ago now that tested a psychic for the million dollar prize. Right. Um, yeah, and she she had a bad day. Um, That's because you were there. I guess so. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I was Mr. there. Skeptic. And, yeah, she had a bad day, and she was she wasn't able to claim the claim the million dollars. But uh, yeah, yeah, maybe it was you know my vibes. I yeah, put off maybe vibes or something. Not sure. But uh, give yeah, me the yeah, answers, you know, Jay, and I'll oh, split heard, the million with you. Yeah, that, that's it. Yeah. I think it was Andy Kaufman, uh, who was a comedian. He was on the TV show Taxi. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. I, I think he went to, you know, some of the faith healers uh, and psychic surgeons 
uh, in the Philippines, if I remember right, and and thought that maybe they had cured him and he didn't continue with some of his you know more Western medical treatments. Right. I'm not sure if it really would have made a difference, but I, you know, I think he did die um, from uh, whatever cancer he had. Um, Jim Carrey did an amazing job of portraying Andy Kaufman. Oh, right, right, yes, yes. And you know, I, I, I wouldn't want to discount the, the, the power of belief. Um, you, you know, certainly, I, I've you know read of examples where people had very strong beliefs uh, in terms of healing, and it did seem to help them. You know, um, but at the same time, that only that only works so far. You know, you you might you might believe that the psychic surgeon has pulled out uh, the cancer out of your body, and, but that doesn't mean necessarily that it's not going to then do it, you know take its toll on you anyway. Um, so so there's certainly the, the the mind is very powerful and our belief systems can be very powerful, but only to a certain extent. You, you, you see what I'm saying? Mm, oh, yeah. definitely. I I, I think that. That can be the case with chemo and radiation as well, though. It it can come back sure. either way. Um, and I think that there have been plenty of spontaneous remission or whatever they call it. There's been plenty of unexplained healings that have happened over the years. The difficulty is in proving what happened. Right. Yeah. I think also what comes into play is like you know what we were talking about at the beginning of this interview the belief systems if let's say something out of the blue has happened you've been healed of whatever the disease is if you don't change the fundamental program inside of yourself that helped create that problem in the first place it's going to come back that's my belief yeah yeah, that, that that makes sense to me. Um, yeah. So, anyway, we've been chatting for quite a while here, and sure, I'm getting a little bit tired, and I presume that you are, and the listeners are probably snoring right now. <laughs> <laughs> probably so. Do, Not, do, do you want to hear just a couple of quick funny stories from my time as magician? Um, yeah. Definitely. Okay. So... As a magician, I perform for both children and adults, uh, but the, the kids are usually where the, the funny stuff tends to happen. So one of the, the comedy bits I do when I, when I meet a little kid who's uh, six, I'll say, oh, I'm so sorry you're sick. And of course, because I'll ask how old they are, and the kid will be like, no, no, six. Like, no, I, I heard you were sick. I'm so sorry you're sick. Right. And of course, it drives the kids crazy. So one time I was performing for a family, and there was a little girl who was six, and her little brother was there, and her brother was, um, I think, eight years old. So I did that bit with her. I said, oh, I'm so sorry you're sick. And after a couple moments, little little brother who was eight piped up, and he said, no, 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 six, S-E-X, six. <laughs> Which, which was not my fault. <laughs> I, looked, I looked at the parents. I was like, "Uh-oh!" Uh, and I said, "As I look at that, that was not my fault." And they laughed, fortunately, and so it wasn't. A, it wasn't a, they weren't upset with it, but yeah, it was pretty funny. And uh, another thing which happened a lot of times with little kids, I'll ask them, so, "So, are you married?" Which obviously is a stupid question. 
but I asked this one little girl. She, she was five years old. I remember that. Uh, she was officially a handful. She was five. So I, I asked her, so are you married? And she said, no, that's for teenagers, <laughs> which I thought was pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she wasn't from Arkansas. I, I was kind of surprised to hear to find that out. But, uh, but yeah, so, uh, yeah, that was a funny one. And the last story, and this one, probably the least funny, but still made me chuckle. Uh, there was a little boy I, I was going to make a balloon sword for, and I asked him, uh, what color? And he said, dark white. <laughs> and dark I looked at white. Him, said, dark white? He said, yes. And I thought, well, I, I thought, maybe that's gray, but I didn't have any gray balloons with me. So I pulled out just a regular white one, and I said, this color? He said, yes, that's it. Like, okay, that's that's dark white from now on. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what he meant by that, but whatever. So yeah, a few few funny stories. Uh, you know, kids kids will sometimes say the darndest things, and uh, um, and that that's that's usually you know sometimes they entertain me. I think as much as I entertain them. Well, this has been entertaining for me, Jay. For me too. Yeah. Th- th- I think you're you're right. Your listeners probably are getting uh, a little tired and maybe falling asleep. So we might have to turn this into like a four part series or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. Well, yeah, it's really been good to connect. Just discussing the past, it's been somewhat cathartic for me. Sometimes it's an open wound whenever I see religious BS that's pushed into my face and it makes me see bugs. But it is what it is. And in the end, I'm glad for the experience. And just like you said in jest, um, the one of the biggest benefits of that belief system is that I had the opportunity to meet you. That's yeah. Yeah. And, and that, and I, yeah, I, I, I did meet some, some wonderful people, you yourself included, uh, that I wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah. And Hey, at least it wasn't Scientology. Yes. <laughs> I love you. Sweet Satan. I love you. Sweet <laughs> Satan. I used to say that to a Scientologist buddy of mine and he didn't appreciate that. But I bet not. <laughs> Satan, right? T H A T A N, I believe. It's some kind of a ascended master within the belief system, and so that's how I used to say it: "Is I love you, sweet Satan." <laughs> anyway, so we'll have to do this again soon. Yeah. Actually, what I'd like to do, and you can plant the bug in your much better half's ear, it would be interesting to talk to both of you at the same time. Sure. One one being a ghostbuster that specializes in the paranormal, and the other who is the ultimate skeptic. <laughs> that, that, that's Interesting true. pillow talk, we I'm don't sure. Talk about it very much, so it'd be fun to uh, have a little a little uh, conversation about it on the air. Yeah, and as long as we don't uh, stimulate a divorce situation or something, <laughs> right? I think it'd be kind of cool. I think it'd be kind of cool too. All right. <laughs> Well, thanks very much, Jay. We will definitely be talking soon. Sounds good.